Then life took a really hard left. My mom came home from a doctor's visit and in a very cheerful, very upbeat tone, she said, I've just come from the doctor and I've been diagnosed with a disease called cancer. So she said, we're broke. I'm going to need some help. So um, everybody got duties and mine was make it a good year because this is your last year in skating. I was on tour and we're a bunch of rock stars. You know, we're selling out buildings all over the country and 50 cities in. I, you know, pain in my abdomen and two months shy of the 20th anniversary of losing my mom. I'm being diagnosed with the same disease as her. And it's sort of game on, right? It just sort of becomes this thing of, okay, now, how are you going to respond to that? Coming up in two minutes, episode 14 of season one of the Good Grief, Good God Show, hosted by Grammy nominee and Emmy award-winning hit songwriter of 15 top 10 songs, including nine number ones, Brad Warren of the Warren Brothers. I'm producer Matt Pivato. Join Brad monthly on the first and third Tuesdays on your favorite audio platform or in video on YouTube for raw, honest conversation about surviving things that suck. Before I introduce today's guest, I have a few quick housekeeping notes. For longer episodes, we're gonna go ahead and release those in two parts more specifically episodes that run closer to two hours. Additionally, we as we move forward, you will notice a season number uh, tagged along with the episode. The current season, season one, will run through early fall and we'll take a short break and then off to season two a few months thereafter. Now on to today's episode, episode 14, part one. Brad welcomes Olympic gold medalist, figure skater with over 70 figure skating titles and awards, speaker, best-selling author, and broadcaster, Scott Hamilton. Over the next hour, Scott will talk about his debilitating childhood disease losing his mother to cancer, the glory of winning an Olympic gold medal, his multiple diagnoses with cancer and three brain tumors, and his life-changing trips to Haiti after the devastating earthquake in 2010, which resulted in the adoption of two of his children. Not many people have the wisdom, grit and grace, ambition and humility that Scott has. You're about to find out Scott is truly a miracle on ice. To learn more about today's guest, Brad, and the show, check the description where you'll also find a clickable link to visit goodgriefgoodgodshow.com and to connect on social media. Lastly, if you'd like to help support the show, leave us a comment or give us a big old five-star review. On the behalf of Brad's wife, Michelle, and segment producer and guest booker, Lisa Bolt, thank you for tuning in, and we hope you too find the good in grief. The Good Grief, Good God Show is brought to you in loving memory of Sage Michael Warren. Where do you want the bald guy? I sit this way because if I sat that way, I'd be facing my wife, and occasionally it gets sad and it should make me cry. Well, I, so oh, just looking at her. Yeah. So well, I, I'd always get that. that. We, are, we started November 1st, was the first one, and Al Andrews was the first guest. I'm having lunch with him a week from Friday. You know. He texted me this morning. He said, um, my birthday is on May 16th, and I'm registered at Home Depot. <laughs> oh, I should start registering for, for our birthdays. That would be a great idea. Just, just, I'd like that shovel. He's got a real thing going. He bought us both his kids um, a toolbox for Christmas. I'm like, Al, do you own a toolbox? And he said, yeah, I do. I was just surprised. I didn't think he was. Is that a subtle hint or not so subtle hint? It's not at all subtle hint, I don't think. Probably Al knows as much about you as anybody. Right? It, it, uh, yeah. He knows where the bodies are buried and the whole uh, nine yards. And um, and ironically, now I know where his are buried because he's, we've, we've, yeah, like, the last time we had dinner, the... it got really deep fast. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, I just read a book called Addiction and Grace. Um, I forgot this the doctor, and it gets pretty, it's pretty dense. There's a lot in there, but I got a lot. We're all addicted to something. Yeah. Uh, in fact, we're kind of addicted to everything. We're even addicted to things we don't want to do. Like, I'm, oh, I'm never doing that. And so, so it's not that the act of, 
like my wife would say that you're, well, you're now, you're currently addicted to working out, whatever. So the working out's not bad, but the compulsion to have to do it. And we do that with almost everything in our lives. And I kind of realized everybody can Have you read Atomic Habits yet? No. That kind of answers that question. It's like, why? Well, there's always- Will you write that down for me? Atomic Atomic Habits. Atomic Habits. So it's not like, it's not like atom bomb habits. It's more like atom, it's like, Adam's the smallest, you know, thing we can really honestly measure and see, but it's, it's creating habits at the atomic level, right? So it's going all the way to our core. And it's just like, if you want to change this, then here's the cue, here's the response, here's the, and then you build these habits. So it's like with working out, you get to a point where it's like, here's the cue, right? You, you really feel like you have lots of energy, whatever. We just really want to feel better, look better. Or something. Yeah. Then here's the action. And then, and then what happens is, you get to a point where that habit becomes something that's just a part of who you are to the point when you don't do it, you really feel like out of sorts. See? Yeah. So it's all these, but it's a way of rising above like, you know, procrastination or all these other things. It's all about building new habits in your life. Like Max read it and he's like, wow, that's really cool. So what are the most high functioning people do? Well, they get up at the, same time every morning and they make their bed first thing. And he, so he does that every single morning. And then what else do high functioning people do? Um, every morning they start their day by going out into a quiet place and thinking of three things they're most grateful for and things they, three things they want to accomplish that day. He does that every morning and it's just habits and they're, they're super healthy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and we're going to have habits anyway, knowing that I'm addictive person and well let's then let's focus those things and like i don't know if you're a jordan peterson fan but i'm a huge i love jordan, jordan peterson, peterson. he's amazing. just he uses big words though and i'm not a lot of little big words but I, you know it's funny i'm learning the words because i can kind of buy the, the and reference max is a huge fan of jordan peterson too <laughs> my kids are too well my middle son uh, quinn is huge huge 22 years old and that's his favorite person smartest in guy in the room smartest, all the time. oh it's amazing but he his the last thing i saw him it was kind of like this like what what do you want like what do you want and, and he said, people don't, oh, I want money. No, no. I mean, like, really, what do you want? Like, what do you want? And then when you figure that out, actively pursue that thing. Are you actively pursuing what you want? Okay, this is what you said you want. And so I had it kind of like, because what I want is peace. I want peace. So actively, am I actively pursuing peace? I'm like, okay. Well, one thing that gives me peace is, is so I can't not work because I get peace from being financially independent as I can. Mm-hmm. So that work exists there, but also spending time <clears throat> outdoors. So actively, so we bought a place in Florida and I, we're going to hike the Grand Canyon. So I'm like, good. And, but if you look at it, like I have to know what I want before I'm going to be able to get it. And then am I actively pursuing it? It actually kind of changed my perspective on a lot of things. I'm like, okay, am I actively pursuing something that I don't want or that's not the thing that I want? Yeah. And we do a lot of that, I think. Wait, I do way, way too much. Yeah, because you know, it's I'm basically it comes down to I I'm sort of I become sort of, and I think it's an extension of my career, a people pleaser. I was gonna say I don't know if it's good or well, I mean it's obviously a good thing, but it, but you don't say no. You do. I mean, you do for people when they ask, you go. Yeah, it's a much. great thing. It's amazing. Well, and it's just it's it's avoiding like, that kind of like ugh. like. Um, um, my Olympic roommate from 1980 died yesterday. Oh, I'm sorry. And they told me that he was going into hospice. 
And I sent him a video. I go, hey, remember when we did this? Remember when we did that? Remember like when you swung me off a balcony by two fingers, you know, it's like we should have died. Remember when we did that? Remember when you picked me up at the airport and you're convertible delta 88 in boston in december remember when <laughs> i remember like all these memories that i have of him and one after another and then i got i had to go do work for my foundation and i was like oh finally i have peace i can reach out to michael and see how he's doing and i got a text that day he was gone and it's kind of like i gotta stop doing that i just gotta pick up the phone i just gotta pick up the phone because that's there's no do-over for that no you know? no and, you know, it's like, um, I was in Boston and he drove, like a couple months ago, he drove, um, you know, more than an hour to come in, just sit with me for a few hours. And we just had the best visit and he was a nut job. Absolute. He could charm, he could charm the, the like the scales off a fish. He could charm the <laughs> rattle off a snake. He could, he, he, let's just say, if we're all sitting in a hotel lobby and, um, the most beautiful girl you've ever seen walks in. It it's not a problem for him. <laughs> not intimidated at all. Not intimidated at all. He goes, I know where I'm staying tonight. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, confidence is not a problem. Huh? No, because he, he just knew who he was. That's great. And he wasn't a great looking guy or anything. Oh, he I think just, that has a little to do with the hell yeah. He just had this way about him that was just so like like there's there's nothing off limits <laughs> he just said i should i should never have smoked that was my downfall so he smoked he smoked after the olympics so yeah. not daring right that and then he got like all the lung cancer and that's what it took him but so how old was he he was um probably my age probably 63 or four it's early you break it you bought it <laughs> that's god telling you you're doing too much we're over here talking about doing too much <laughs> Um, all right, so I, I have a quote for every guest. I, I, I love quotes. Yeah, I do too. And um, I wind up with this is a Mark Manson quote. I don't know if you're a Mark Manson fan, but he's an author, and um, I just got a, I've gotten a couple from him. But um, the quote I thought of for you, I try to make it apply. <laughs> That's very mm -hmm. nice of me. But um, was everything worthwhile in life is one through surmounting the associated negative experience. Mm -hmm. Mark Manson. That's really, that's a cool way of saying rising above your circumstance. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you have, um, you wouldn't, I don't care who, you know, people tend to look at successful people and go, yeah, but yeah, you know, it's had it made. Yeah. It's like path was laid out. It was yeah. perfect. It'd be hard to know even a tiny bit of your story and say, oh man, he had an easy path. It was so unlikely. Yeah. <laughs> it was so, yeah. it was everything about, everything about me is unlikely. Yeah. I was unwanted, unintended, right? Brought of the world, adopted six weeks later. Oh, so I didn't even know you were adopted. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've known you so for a long time. So unwanted, unintended, right? Adopted by two school teachers in a small town in Northwestern Ohio, um, both educators. My dad was an ROTC PhD professor of biology. My mom was teaching second grade because her mom taught second grade and her sister taught second grade and her dad was a school administrator. And so it was this educator family, right? Um, and so, you know, there's nothing about where my life went and ended up that has anything to do with any of that. Yeah, <laughs> and then, at all. In a small town, they didn't have any really facilities. I was going to say. Well, yeah. Coaching or there's no, I mean, I, I, my first coach, my first coaches were really good coaches. They just didn't stick around very long, you know. 
they kind of built the program and then went off to another there city. There was a little town though? A, they, a tiny they little town, town, Bowling Green, Ohio. So it's a university town. It's agriculture surrounding it. It's, um, the joke is it's so flat that you can stand on a chair and see Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> so it's that. You can but stand on the ground and smell Detroit. So <laughs> just kidding, Detroit but people. Don't, yeah, I don't care. But it's just, um, it's kind of that whole thing of there's nothing about that that says, oh, by the way, you're going to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. No. And then, you know, the four years of uh, being in hospitals, trying to figure out what was wrong with me. I wasn't growing. I wasn't developing. And then. And you were misdiagnosed, right? I was never diagnosed. You're never diagnosed. Well, I would say until 2004. That's a little, that's a little late in the game. You had a pretty good career before but, that. But, you know, when I look back on what the healthcare looked like in the 60s, I'm really glad I wasn't diagnosed. Maybe best you just yeah. leave it alone and it's let like, nature. Oh, you need surgery. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, it wouldn't have worked out too good. But, you know, it's just none of it. None of it really makes any sense, yeah. you know? And it's just, you know, I look back now on all of it. And I just said, you know, just Lord was there. Lord was there. Lord was there. And I see it now. I see the path. I see every weird little detour. I see every little bit where maybe that should have been a devastating part of my life, but somehow I sailed through it. And then there were other devastating parts of my life that were like, oh, okay, I had to go through this. Yeah. So it's all of that, right? You know, it's, yeah. but it's, you know, it's, everything's a choice. Yeah. I believe firmly that our strengths are our shortcomings. Mm -hmm. They, the same thing that like the, you know, oh, he talk. I talk a lot. That's, that's a good thing because I express myself, whatever. And then, then it's a negative when I overspend it. Uh, if you had been six four, you, you were not doing the things on the ice that you wound up doing. You know what I mean? We we find yeah. the strengths in the weaknesses, or or we find the weaknesses in the strengths. I mean, you definitely uh, took it to the. I mean, did, what, how did you? What was the well, first I mean, skating experience? You know, like my dreams of the NBA were short lived. Yeah, you know, is. so it's like that, right? But you know, I, I there was this um, gymnastics coach in Bowling Green that just he just saw me. He was like. Oh, this is like, it's good. This is going to be so great. And it's like, he thought I was going to be this gymnast, you know, and I was going to go through the school system and compete regionally. But then I got on the ice and it was like, Oh, this is way more fun than that. You know? Yeah. So, um, there was always going to be whatever it was, it was, I was moderately athletic, but it was never going to be anything where I needed size or a great deal of physical strength. It was about coordination, agility, stamina, all those types of things. So when I got on the ice, it was kind of like, Oh, I can do all this, that. This is, this is kind of, cause after a couple of weeks, I realized that, um, I could skate as well as well kids. Cause you know, all I saw was sick kids. My so you were sick the first time you got on the, on the skates. I, oh yeah. The thing was, is I had to take this supplement and, um, I, I have a lot of jokes about this supplement, but basically I, I wouldn't wish it on anyone ever. Cause it, it was basically the nastiest, like chalk, like, you know, it's like, Chalk mixed with a little bit of like spit up, you know, it's like nastiest stuff. So I, I start, I started um, pretending like I was drinking it in the bathroom and I was pouring it down the sink. Oh, know? really? Was, so my doctor, <laughs> our family doctor came and he said, I got a great compromise. We're going to put a tube up your nose, down your esophagus. So we can just put the supplement through the tube. You never have to taste it again. And I was like, deal done. So the first time I went to the rank, I had a tube coming out of my nose. It was taped to the side of my face and the tip was over my ear. And so the kids are looking at me like going, what's wrong with you? And it was one of those things where it's like, you've never been fed through your nose before? Yeah. 
What's the matter with you? Weirdo. <laughs> so in, no, I mean, barely though. How was it? I mean, what, what did you think about them looking at the tube and you, you sorry, did you get to the point early where you're like, yeah, whatever. I don't really care. What well, you. yeah, whatever. I don't care because like I spent a lot of time with sick kids. So I, I, you know, I spent as much time with sick kids as I did with well kids. And so it was sort of that thing of, you know, um, you get to, you know, the parents, you get to see the kids, you see them in different states of illness, you know, and it's mm-hmm. like you get used to it, you know. And, and so, um, you know, you, you hang around with well kids and they probably haven't experienced any of those things. So they yeah. think it's weird or odd, yeah. but none of that was weird or odd for me. I, I'm really comfortable now, especially with the work I do in cancer of going into places where, you know, kids are going through treatments or whatever, you know, it could be St. Jude or it can be any other cancer center in the country. And I totally understand what they're feeling and what they're going through because I, I lived it. And it's hard for them to believe that that's actually the case. Yeah. But it's like, you know, you just, you have to endure, you know, those periods of your life to kind mm-hmm. of figure out who you're supposed to be. Yeah. I have to say um, my, my, two greatest areas of service are in recovery. And I had to go through hitting bottom to get to that one. And the other one is to be, uh, to, to join arms with men that have lost children and, and grief. And those are my two things. They did not come about from the most pleasant circumstances in my life, especially the second one. But I'm uniquely comfortable with the conversation, really comfortable with the conversation. And it's, it is a blessing because I've been to St. Jude's. It's amazing. But I remember the first time, especially as young, active alcoholic artists and going in and just not knowing how to or what to say. And we hadn't really had our puppies run over yet. Is how we would phrase that. You know, we didn't nothing had really happened in life and you felt bad for them and you felt uplifted by them. But you didn't really know what to say. Get a little older and live a little life and get stomped on a little bit. And you're like, oh, yeah, you just go in and treat them normal because that's what they are. Yeah. You know, just like you are after getting trampled a little. <laughs> and, then, you know, and, and again, it's like it can either completely crush you or it can make you stronger, yeah. you know. And there's a lot of that, you know. And, and again, you know, people look at, oh, okay, well, you know, you won all these competitions. That was at the end, you know, the whole, yeah. the whole thing preceding the last, you know, kind of, I was on from first steps until my last competition. It was 16 years. So the last six were pretty good. First 10, not so. Well, no, five out of the last six were pretty good. <laughs> but the you know, preceding that, I don't know how to, how do I say this? Um, it was just, I wasn't very good. I, like regionally, yes. I could hold my own to be in the game. It's like saying a quarterback in the NFL sucks. They yeah. don't, you don't really mean he sucks because he made it into the NFL. But based but on the, your peer yeah, group. If you're a boy, let's just say if you're a girl in skating and you medal, you're pretty good. Yeah. If you're a boy in skating and you don't medal, maybe it's not for you. Is that because of fewer? Yeah, a lot fewer. Oh, okay. okay. A lot of fewer guys in skating. And it's really cool because the guys, what they do athletically it's so much, it's like really demanding compared to, you know, what the women are doing, but it's, it's evening out now. Like now when I look at the last Olympics, even though um, the girl from Russia was doping, um, it's a a better, better sport through science, I guess, but um, she was doing like quads and all these things that the guys are doing. So it's like, it's equaling out, but you yeah. know, the guys have always been sort of the pioneers, yeah. you know, cause they have nothing else, you know, the girls, yeah. you, know, yeah. you know, women are, they can go out and they can do a lot of really beautiful things. And they're more of that 
they're more flexible and they can do a lot of things choreographically that men can't really get away with. So the guys just have to throw it down. They have to, you know, the wow factor. I'm going to have to wow you. Yeah, this is yeah. it. I got to win you over with the big trick. And, and so now it's evening out, but for the longest time it was like, you know, so for me, I got, I was late to the game. Like I started when I was nine. And that's late. And that's really late. A lot of guys start when they're five. And then, you know, so I, I was sick. So I had a lot of catching up to do physically and emotionally and athletically. I, I, I didn't, I didn't know how to do anything. Coaching was kind of sporadic. You know, at first I had good coaches, then they moved away. And then college kids kind of stepped in to kind of make a living teaching kids how to skate. And then Parents knew that you were good enough to where we should be chasing this, but they had no idea that you were good. It wasn't even about being good. It was about the fact that I was so sick for so long. And all of a sudden I get on the ice and I'm starting to grow again, I'm starting to develop again. Yeah. I'm starting to show signs of life again. And it's like, okay, this is the one thing that works yeah, okay. here. Do that. We're, we're going to leverage everything to, you know, keep this thing going. And, and, you know, for the longest time, I just, I was asymptomatic and I just kind of rolled through things and I, I just really started improving and getting the right kind of coaching. But it, it was, you know, I, my first nationals, I fell five times in a three minute program. Wow. Wow, I was right. I think it's a record. That sounds like me at the ice rink in yeah, Buffalo. But it was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just skating around a circle. Yeah, yeah. Boom. Get up. Yeah. Boom. Get up. Oh, yeah. But it was one of those things where, you know, for whatever reason, that was really important. Yeah, of course. Because, you know, I went back the next year. And, of course, you know, like I was nine out of nine the year before when I fell five times. The next year I went back and I only fell twice and I was still nine <laughs> but you were down in falls. Yeah, it was, it was a win. There's something yeah, about five win. falls that makes fell, it easy. Yeah, to I, win. I eliminated three falls in this next last place finish, and then um, you go up to junior, and it's like, what's the worst thing that can happen, right? Last place guy, right? I'm the last place guy, and then I actually beat two guys who were pretty embarrassed that the last place <laughs> guy beat them, and then um, and then you know then life took a really hard left. My mom came home. Um, from a doctor's visit and in a very cheerful, very upbeat tone, she said, I've just come from the doctor and I've been diagnosed with a disease called cancer. And it was like, I thought you didn't even say cancer back then. You didn't even say it was the C word back then. Yes, yeah. And I was like, why is she so happy? I guess she's going to be okay. So I didn't think about it. And you were much. how old right then? I was a, a junior in high school. Okay. And um, so at the end of, of her telling us, she just said, um, we're out of money. We're broke. We're going to get you through one more year of skating, just one more year. And then you're going to graduate high school and then you're going to come here to college next year since we're now, she had to get a better job, go back to school while she's raising a family, working, doing all those things to, to be able to pay for my skating. You know, she so at that, she went from being a second grade school teacher to being a um, associate professor in the home economics department where her especially was marriage and family relations. So she was a nurturer beyond all nurturers. Wow. She was amazing. I love my mom. And so, um, so she said, we're broke and um, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna need some help. So um, everybody got duties and mine was make it a good year because this is your last year in skating. And I said, all right. So went back to, I went back to Illinois where I was training and my main coach had retired. And the new coach scared the snot out of me. He was just, he was really tough. And so I just figured it's my last year, I'll submit. Did you in fact though, treat it like a job? Cause it's like, okay, this is, my mom needs this. Was there a different like headspace you were in because of what she was going through or? Somewhat, yeah. somewhat, but it was still, 
all I really wanted to do was stay out of trouble. And so I just did what my coach told me to do. And so it was about two weeks before the nationals, I landed my first triple jump, triple rotation jump. I was like, oh, bucket list check. Here we go, I can quit now. And um, I got to nationals, my mom arrived and her arm was um, in a sling. They removed her left breast and the inside of her left arm. And she was wearing a wig because she lost all her hair to the chemo. And she was just joyful. I mean, she was just on fire. She was so happy. And I just couldn't figure out, I go, what, what's going on with you? And she goes, I'm great. You go out and have fun, compete. We'll talk when you're done. Well, let's talk about it. And I said, all right, but you're okay? And she goes, I'm great. And it's like, like drugs, you know. It's like, yeah, <laughs> it's my, and so um, I went out um, to do my long program warm up. And my coach grabbed the back of my pants and he pulled me back and he goes, don't warm up your triple sacco. And I said, why? And he goes, because we really don't want to know if it's there or not until the program itself. And I go, oh, that's probably good coaching. I don't have anything to compare it to. So I just did doubles in the warm up and went out and did my program, landed my first jump. And then I went to set up the triple sow and I figured last competition ever, might as well throw it. Got nothing to lose. And I landed it. And it was like, I got so excited that I forgot to script the rest of my program. <laughs> <laughs> it's no. nothing oh, yeah. And I won junior nationals. Like I came in first. Wow. And it was like, all I could think of is like, these guys must be really embarrassed <laughs> because I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not to be standing up here. They're, they're way more talented, way better than I am. And so the reason my mom was so happy was because on the way there, she'd met with a couple in Chicago that were older, had no children, loved skating, and um, um, were wealthy enough that they really wanted to look after my skating. And so I, I moved to Denver and <clears throat> went to the championship level, you know, the senior level. And um, I, I, it's the trifecta. Turned 18, I'm sponsored, and I have my own apartment for the very first time. Right on. <laughs> Not good? Terrible. Yeah, I was gonna say I know how I would handle that. <laughs> yeah. So if it's even ten percent, no, you were screwed. <laughs> it, it, I didn't even know how I made it to nationals that year, but I got there and and um, I, I ninth again. I went back to ninth, <laughs> and it was just a horrible, just a humiliation after everything I was given to show up like that. Yeah. And I was I was embarrassed by it, but you know I'm still last place guy, right? Even though I had that one little blip. Right? <laughs> a little blip on your radar where you won something. Yeah, yeah, that, that would be it. terrible. That <laughs> yeah. was it. And so then um, at the end of the competitive season, I go back home. I just go back to school. I finished up. I was, you know, um, no, I was done with school by then. But it was like after that nationals, um, I just went home to be with my parents because my mom had sort of taken a turn for the worse. And I remember being in her room until about 3.30 in the morning. And she wasn't awake or anything. And so I just went home, slept on the couch. And uh, I was awakened with the news that my mother was gone. And you have to understand that I loved her more than anyone. And I just, um, when they told me your mother is gone, all I could think to say is I know. And I just, I just got up and I, I just went in the backyard and I started walking. And it was in that walk that I decided I didn't have to do a lot of bad things because I didn't feel good. You know, I... I a couple of people I knew had, had lost parents, you know, different things. And they just, drugs and alcohol, you know, because it just kills the pain. Yeah. And I was like, ah, it wouldn't make her happy. Mm -mm. <laughs> mm -mm. What would make her happy? Well, why don't I just try to be the person she always dreamed I could be? Why don't you just wake up 
put your big boy pants on and get to work. <laughs> and so um, I just decided I was going to honor her in every way I possibly could on the ice. And, and um, you know, I was like, you're going to be late. Nope. Nope. Honor your mom on time. That's going to do a long program run through. I'm tired. I don't feel like doing it today. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Honor your mom. It's, I don't care if it's summer. I'm doing a long program run through. And, and in that, um, I just got stronger, mm-hmm. a lot stronger. Mm-hmm. And so from the ninth place finish, the last competition she ever saw me skate in, the next year I'm on the podium at nationals and I'm ranked 11th in the world. Wow. And then, you know, she'd always say when I finally passed a figure test, you know, the compulsory figures, mm-hmm. I hated them. They hated me back. <laughs> it was like, um, we passed the flying colors. And it's like, this is really embarrassing, mom, but privately I'm loving it all right you're bragging to me in front of the neighbors and she goes you know someday we're going to go to the Olympics and I'm like uh, based on what because <laughs> you know, I'm not that good and um two years later I'm on the Olympic team so that was the 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 wake-up call that was the thing when your mom passed yeah I, I mean I, I relate to that much later in life, much different way. But like I do have, um, there's a different, Michelle and I discuss it often. Like when there's any decision to make, I'm like, does that honor? And I use the word honor too. I don't know if it's something that's there, but I'm like, well, because I feel, I'm sure that you feel close to your mom. Like yeah. she's there with you, even at that age, probably that young age. But now you look back and know she was literally with you oh, at those yeah. moments. If you have, if, it doesn't even take much faith to, to get us to that spot. But it's really, decisions are pretty easy. Almost all the time I can say, okay, is this honor going to honor my son? And it's rarely a gray area. Yeah. It's almost always like, oh yeah, do this, do that. Don't do this podcast. This is not what I, you want to do a podcast where you want to sit around and be cool and smoke cigars like Joe Rogan. I don't want to come and talk about (laughs) grief and God and real things. Well, you know, it's, 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 you got to talk about, especially if you really want to have a broad appeal or have a destination that really serves people. The best way to cast the widest net is to is to create something that everyone experiences. And, um, you know, they asked me at TEDx Nashville, asked me to do a talk. And I go, what do you want me to talk about? And they go, whatever you want. And I say, oh, <laughs> okay, narrow it down just a little bit. It's like, but all my spirit would let me talk about was suffering. Yeah. And it was just all about suffering. And so I, I go, I, I got to check this out, TED. TED.com, suffering. Nobody's ever talked about the one thing, the one thing we all endure. Everyone. There's no one on this planet that has not suffered, right? Right. So why don't we talk about it? Let's just talk about it. And so, you know, in any talk, there's kind of the beginning, the middle, and the end, right? And the beginning is sort of like you're introducing, you know, sort of the concept of it. And the middle part is a deep dive into kind of what it looks like for different people. Mm -hmm. And then you've you've got to give them a way out. You know, because otherwise you just, it falls flat, right? So the one thing I've I've always really felt was um, when you're coming into a period of suffering, it's a fork in the road, right? It's a fork in the road. Mm -hmm. And and I always joked, you know, Yogi Berra says, when you get to the fork in the road, take it. You know, it's like that whole thing. So um, it's, but you know, we look at a fork in the road like this, right? But suffering isn't like that. It isn't just left or right. Yeah. It's up or down. So you have three choices. You can succumb, right? Just let it take you. Let it just, you pick up a lot of speed. You, you know, you, you get lower and lower and lower and lower and lower. And it really just, it, it can take on a greater, because that's, that's momentum right there. Yeah. 
you can adapt. You can just stay right there at the fork and not go either way. <clears throat> yeah. You can adapt or you can start to climb. Mm -hmm. And that's where you evolve and you become something you may never have even thought you could become. Like, really? Like, I'm still here and I'm more in touch with who I am than I've ever been in my life because of that period of suffering. And it's a choice. To climb is the choice. Yeah. Because it's work, right? To, you, know, you know, you can run down a hill and it feels like nothing, right? Or on a bike, you can get on a bike and you just don't have to pedal. You can, it'll take you down. But it's that climb, that's where you really get strong. The that's climb you is the, you're right. The climb is the choice. hundred uh, percent. Uh, as you say that, <clears throat> like what the, the, my two life events, one me being an alcoholic and that started me being a decent human being. It literally did. I was a, a piece of shit, uh, with every, in every way you can think of. And I wouldn't even want to know. I can't even now. imagine that person. Yeah, but you, he was there. <laughs> he was there. We I, call it being I, a monster, right? Yeah, it was your monster yeah, days. Yeah, the monster was there. Yeah. Um, and the growth started. And so uh, Brett and I were were recording artists that weren't. It wasn't going very well. <laughs> Just imagine that um, on drugs and alcohol, and it was bad. So we got sober, started recovering. I found God, the same God that I had been introduced to as a young Baptist charismatic kid. I'll get to you in a minute. Yeah. yeah, yeah I'm yeah. so I'm doing this, We're doing this. I'll be right there. Hang on. But with a really different texture. Yeah. And there's much more loving God, someone who wanted the best for me, not just someone that wanted to send me to hell. So I had a different so I started the started the the little trek upwards. <clears throat> and it's been 17 plus years, almost 18 years. Um so thankful, so thankful for the opportunity to be able to serve and be to become the human being that would want to do something better. But the the master's plan for that <clears throat> losing my son it's not 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 what not what I want to do that but <clears throat> because there was already the discount like I just I'm I'm addicted to comfort like I want comfort well the 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 being a recovery we all do yeah. yeah yeah it's uncomfortable so when Sage passes it's like here's the fork in the road one thing is I didn't have even the remotest desire to drink or to do any of that so that's great thank you God for that. But also, it's like, what are, what are we going to do with this now? And so, well, we're already on the climb because we're in recovery and we're, we're, we, we have a relationship with God. What's the next thing to do with the climb? Well, let's just get really comfortable with the conversation. Let's go reach out to every grieving person that we can. Let's go on. So I, I actually got to have a songwriting career out of getting sober because I, would, I don't think anyone would have been able to tolerate us <laughs> had we not been. And then, you know what I mean? We, we were really, in, you did not know us then, I'm telling you, we, it we were intolerable. And, but the master's program for that is losing this, this child and thinking every moment, how can I honor this and taking that to the next level? And it really has become our purpose. And I'm like, wow. So if God has the big plan in there, it's possible that this was the entire time. Like he had to wait till I was in my fifties to get to, <laughs> to get to the significant part of whatever this journey has become. And I'm okay with that now. What, whatever that is. Yeah, well, and you know, and it's just, and, and that's what, you know, I think a lot of people attach instantly to faith is it's not over. Right. It's never over. Right. Who we are uniquely individually, our bodies, you know, like, like I've had cancer, I've had, you know, successive brain tumors. I've had all this medical stuff and the four years in hospitals, you know, all that stuff. It just, it reminds you that we're fragile, susceptible 
you know, to countless things. Yeah. But we're equally resilient, right? Mm -hmm. But ultimately temporary. So these bodies that we occupy for a minute, you know, that's just um, sort of a life support for our, our soul, our uniqueness. And I, it's just hard to believe that our uniqueness could ever go away. You know, it can diminish with our bodies a little bit. It's still in there. Our life force is still in there. Our bodies, you know, aren't really doing much for it. But it's hard to believe that that part of us, our uniqueness, our soul, our spirit could ever be extinguished. Oh, I don't think that's ever extinguished at all. And I actually think our uniqueness might be even more distinct without this, oh, without this. The flesh, the flesh, yeah. which kind of decays, the flesh yeah. is, which is weak. Yeah. The flesh is always separating us from who we really want to be. It takes up too much of our time and concentration because we're worried about how we feel all <laughs> yeah. the time or how we look or whatever. Yeah. I think we're going to be so free outside oh, of that. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine what you're going to be doing. You're like this guy. I've, I'm going to be I, seven I, feet I, tall. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh yeah. I don't no, know. But it's, it's, it's that. I mean, it's, it and that's that. the hope that we hang on to. Yeah. Right. And it's just, life's hard. Life's real. And it's just endlessly hard. But the it's, awareness uh, though, that life is hard makes it easier because the problem is when you don't have the struggles that you had, um, I lived a lot of my life thinking that by the first funeral I went to was my father's. I was in my thirties. It was just, wasn't, and it was very much too soon or whatever. But once you realize this is a struggle, so we're the, the sorrow and joy are much closely, more closely related than, than we think that they are. Um, I, I just looking for comfort, looking for the easy way. You couldn't, there was no easy way. So you got used to not living the easy way. No. And I, in my fifties, I'm learning, I am much tougher and stronger than I was in my 30s or 40s or certainly my 20s, I don't even know what that was that was about. And you had to start early doing that. It's amazing what you can accomplish just tilting that thing in the right direction, which is up. Well, and that's just, you know, again, it's just once you, you sort of try to work it out, you know, and it's that whole climb thing, the evolve thing, um, that sort of got to me, you know, it's like I, um, I was on tour and we're a bunch of rock stars, you know, we're selling out buildings all over the country and, you know, we got a 60 city U.S. tour and, 50 cities in, I feeling kind of poorly, stomach, abdomen, you know, pain in my abdomen. I thought I worked myself into an ulcer. It was my 13th year as a pro, thinking that if I could skate two to four years as a professional, I'm fooling a lot of people. But then it got into this mode where it's like, okay, I, know, I think I figured this thing out. And I'm 13 years in, and I just can't step straight anymore. And, um, you know, I'm given the diagnosis that I'm tw two months shy of the 20th anniversary of losing my mom. I'm being diagnosed with the same disease as her. And it's sort of game on, right? It just sort of becomes this thing of, okay, now how are you gonna respond to that, you know? And so the thing is, it's this really weird thing that happens. And I've talked to a lot of other cancer patients about it, but this fear is just staring you right in the face. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, I'm gonna diminish and I'm gonna suffer and I'm gonna die and I'm never gonna skate again, right? All those weird things that have. And then I, it's weird. You know, it's like as soon as you kind of, and I don't know how long it takes, as soon as you kind of understand what you're up against, it flips into a sense of power, courage, clarity of mission. And it's like, no, I'm game on. I'm going to fight this thing with everything I've got. I'm going to do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win this battle. And I'm going to be right back on tour next year. And that's a mindset, right? And how it's long just ago awakening. was that first diagnosis? Um, 97, it was March. 16th, 
And so, um, but you know how life works, right? Pendulum swings both ways. So here I am getting a diagnosis of cancer, March 16th, 97, March 16th, 2000. I meet the girl that would become my wife. Who is freaking amazing. Like yeah. your wife is, is I, 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 I overachieved. Go ahead and oh, say it. That's well, way, you did, you did way. Too. <laughs> we had, we, yeah, that's, that's of course. Yeah. Like, forgetting the out kicking your coverage and all that. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. long gone. But like, like how much, that's, I hate the word charity because it sounds like something, but how many, how much charity can one family do? I mean, you and your wife are like busy about God's work. And I don't mean like, putting a new building on the church or whatever, which would be fine, I guess. Um, I mean about like, like helping the poor. I mean about like feeding hungry people. I mean, you, you guys take a trip to Haiti and come home with family members, <laughs> you know, um, you're, well, that was, that was, an, I mean, that, that was, um, you know, we, when we first got to Nashville, uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman, we got invited, you know, kind of into the show hope thing to, help wherever we could and I would host events or I would, you know, be at certain things. And Tracy and I were just blown away at these families that would do international adoption. It's like, we admire them so much. It's not us. We'll never do that. But we, we just are, you know, it was sort of one of those God wings. It's like, I'm preparing your heart. And it's like, but we would never, we have two healthy boys. That's all we hear. Like we're going to pour ourselves into them. And yeah, we'll support this organization for people that really feel called for international but that'll never be us. And then it was, you know, a few years later, we're like going through our home study and trying to figure out a way to get these two kids from Haiti home. And um, it's like, that is us. And it was always there, you know, he's just preparing our hearts. Reason you get involved with this group is because they're gonna set you up with exactly what this looks like and how amazing it is and how tough it is and how life-giving it is. And then, you know, it's just, that's what we're here for. I've learned something. Don't ever say that's not me or that's not us because <laughs> God's giving you a, a bucket full of it. If you, if you say oh, that, really? no, yeah. I'm not, oh yeah, that's not my thing. Yeah. Like this is not yeah. my thing or like them, you know. I, I've replaced the word never. Yeah, yeah. I have. Yeah. I've replaced it with, I can't imagine a scenario that would allow, <laughs> whatever that is. Yeah. I can't imagine a scenario that would allow blah, blah, blah. And, you know, pretty much throughout, it's like, oh, I could, you know, I could never. I could never adopt, you know, children from yeah. another country. Well, it's so logical. It's so logical. Yeah. It's like I could never give myself a shot. You know, when we wanted <laughs> yeah. to have our second child, I had a pituitary brain tumor, took away all my hormonal activity. And so I would self-inject six times a week. And I did that for two years. And it's like, well, yeah, of course I'm going to give myself a shot. What else would I do? You know, you got, well, you, you got to do what you got to do, right? Yeah. I could never do that. I could never, I could never, I could never. And then you find yourself... Like anytime you say never, it's like, oh, by the way, <laughs> you've just exactly. guaranteed that that's going to happen. happen. Yeah. yeah. You're going to be faced with it. Like, I don't ask God for patience anymore. Because when they ask God for patience, he doesn't just hand you a, bo- a you know, a bowl of patience. <laughs> no. He just gives you a situation where it's going to absolutely require patience to get through it. Well, and it builds you up. Yeah. It's yeah. like you're so much deeper and so much more alive than you've ever been. Yeah. You know, and, the, you know, the cancer thing was you know, I survive and all of a sudden I'm a poster child for cancer survivorship. You know, I'm going around speaking. And You're in your 13th year of, uh, as a professional. You've already won gold medals by the time the first cancer. Yeah, well, I won everything as an amateur and then I turned pro. Right, right. And then there was no real path for me. So I had to kind of make it up as I went along. Yeah, you started that company, right? The Stars on Ice? Yeah, I, I, mean, was, I was with Ice Capades for two years. 
I had a third year option and I did the whole two years perfectly. Like I couldn't have done it better. And then the president of Icecapades, who had become a dear friend, um, he just said, you know, we've gone through a sale. And it's like, I'm excited. I can't wait to meet the new owner. And he goes, uh, he doesn't want to meet you. <laughs> you're, got, you're done here. And I go, I, I, know, I did everything right. And he goes, he only wants women. So I'm out of a job after two years. And then I meet with my manager and it's kind of that, hey, we've been talking internal, internally. Do you want to help us start a tour? And it's like, let me check my calendar. Pretty open right now. <laughs> Pretty open, wide open. So we started Stars and Ice and it still exists. I was gonna say that turned out to be a great move, didn't it? Yeah. Well, here's a preview of the second part of episode 14 premiering on Tuesday, May 16th. But first, don't forget to visit goodgriefgoodguyshow.com for the most up-to-date show information, including links to the back catalog of episodes. Also, forget to hit that like and subscribe button. Leave us a good old five-star review. She was turned on CNN right now, and I turn on CNN. The entire, almost the entire city of Port-au-Prince collapsed. 300,000 people died in 30 seconds. She just couldn't look away. She goes, I have to get there. Everything in my spirit says, I have to go, I have to go, I have to go. And it's like, well, tap the brakes, wait for the news cycle to change, and then the need will present itself. We were there, I remember I came over to pick up Aiden because Aiden was helping her. And there was a Christmas tree up in the office, little pictures of kids on them. And it was obvious that it was an orphanage, right? And so Aiden was just looking at this tree. He's like, who's that? Oh, that, that's Jean-Paul. You'd like him a lot. He's just a little older than you, but he's very athletic. He's very smart. And he smiles and laughs all the time. Mm -hmm. He goes, we're going to get him Christmas. And she goes, okay, well, here's the ornament. Just his list is on the back. And he looked at him, he's like, we're going to get him Christmas. And like goes, every year. You know, yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for the rest of his life. Yeah, for his life. So then Lori, you know, ran the organization with her husband. She said, you know, he's got a sister. We'll get her Christmas too. 